Good morning. It is a pleasure to get to talk with you guys uh, this morning and dig into God's Word. Uh, I'm going to pray, give a little introductory ideas, and then we'll stand together. I know you guys like to do that together, so we'll stand together and read the passage, and then we'll dig into it. Um, but I'm just going to pray for us, Lord. So we just thank you so much. pray that you would use this time, that you would speak uh, through me, that you, it would be your words, not mine, that you would speak to each heart, Lord, help us to be prepared to respond to you and what you're doing, what you're calling us to uh, as the church, Lord. So I just pray that you would help us to hear your voice today and to respond and be open to you. So we just pray that you'd move in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I prayed about this weekend, I know you guys have been going through a series, and Jeff and I were talking a little bit, and uh, kind of the scripture that was put on my heart uh, connects to another thing that God's been doing, uh, speaking to you as a congregation, which is the idea of discipleship, one generation discipling to another, and and having the whole church together, um, helping to raise up disciples for Christ uh, throughout the generation. So I'm actually going to be speaking today on Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. So if you have uh, your Bibles, you can flip to that. Uh, we'll read it in just a moment. But as we're looking into, this has been a really important uh, segment of Scripture for me, because it reveals kind of how discipleship in God's kingdom is supposed to work. How the generations are supposed to be partnered together uh, and, and loving each other and speaking into each other rather than maybe like complaining about each other. You know, we get generational and we start to think like, oh, you know, there's these things, these tensions that begin to rise. And God has a vision for his church that the generations would be reaching out to one another rather than turning away from one another. And so we have this call that Paul is giving and he's writing to one of his go-to men for demanding tasks in Titus. Titus kind of had these responsibilities that, God would, that Paul would give him to go to these churches that were in, in difficult situations. Uh, and so he's sending him back to the island of Crete, a place where Paul says one of their own prophets says about them that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Okay? So, I mean, this is an island. It actually was well known for piracy back in the day. Like, it was a rough place, and they had brought people to Christ there, but the church hadn't really been set up with, with everything it needed. And so he's sending Titus back to this rowdy group of people and saying, hey, I want you to set up the church so it can keep going for generations. I want you to go back and to take care of, of some of the things we left undone. I want you to go and set a vision for how the gospel's power could be de demonstrated from one generation to the next. So today I want to cast that vision of the church rising up as a generational church to fulfill the call to make disciples, to bridge the gap, and have the young and old stand together for the faith. And so that's something, uh, you know, that we're, we're looking for and we're, we're speaking towards today. So as we turn to Titus 2, 1 through 15, and we see what Paul begins to speak to Titus about the church in general, uh, we're going to look at Jesus's, a little bit more understanding of Jesus' direction and call to make disciples. So if you're able to stand together, let's stand together. And we're going to read Titus 2, 1 through 15, which says, But you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. 
Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of, our God, of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to cleanse for himself a people from his own possession, eager to do good works. That's God's word. Thank you. All right. So the first thing that Paul encourages to Titus, and the first thing I think we need to look at is kind of in a parenthesis in this passage, and it's, it's we need to look at what we are offering to others. What is it that we're passing on? What is the thing that we're, we're giving? See, Paul begins this passage urging Titus in Titus 2.1, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. And then in a parenthesis that kind of encapsulates this whole thing, in 11 through 14, he defines this sound teaching by saying, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. It's the gospel. Sound teaching is the gospel that we have a Savior from heaven who gave himself for us, and he has redeemed for himself people to do good works, to be his hands and feet on the earth, to demonstrate to the world the goodness of God. And we're waiting for his return. Not waiting like sitting back, kind of like twiddling our thumbs, but waiting like a waiter waits on a table. Waiting on him. Serving him as we await his coming. And so what we see here is there's this call to godliness, right? There's this call that the thing that we are passing on is the gospel and a godly life. We're passing that on. We don't want to pass on. He doesn't want Titus to teach the people to pass on their fleshliness. He doesn't want them to, to pass on, you know, his all his specific habits. He wants them to pass on what the gospel is, which is discipling people to walk in the way of Jesus. Not to walk in their own way, their, the, most, the most recent fad, the most interesting thing, but to walk in Jesus' way, to learn to walk by the Spirit. And so he's calling Titus, as you're coming into this, teach what's godly. Teach what's good. Teach sound doctrine. Make sure that you're holding to the truth. That you're presenting truth to people. And, and live according to that way. Have integrity. Integrity means being the same all the way through. 
right? A piece of wood has integrity when it's solid, it's not hollow. And so we, we look at this thing and we, we see that this is not a new call on God's people. God doesn't change. He's not fickle. He's a, he's a God who is consistent. And he's been urging his people to inspect their lives and their hearts in connection with him and to pass it on to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 through 9 says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And what we see is this same call that he has to Titus, that be consumed with who God is in the gospel. And then speak about it to the next generation. Speak about it to those who are around you. Speak it and pass it on. It's godliness, a love for God and a love for men that God is telling these people to pass on to the next generation to live it fully, and to pass it on. It's not an individual faith, but a generational faith. And so he's encouraging them to put God's words in their heart, to meditate on it, to have scriptures all over your home, right? All over, wherever you go, you're, you're making sure that you're seeing God's word. And you're understanding it, and you're seeing it, and you're meditating on it day in and day out. And, you're, and it's encouraging you, and you're giving the Holy Spirit opportunity to make it real in your life. To conform you to his image. To transform you by the renewing of your mind. And so the heart of that gospel is what Paul proclaims elsewhere in Ephesians 2, 4-10. through 10, He says, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So it's this call, this good thing that we're clinging to is an understanding that God has saved you. Live in that. Rest in that. And then as he leads you on from that salvation, there is so much good that can be done. So much that we're called to do with him, not just for him. It's this call to live as Christ's ambassadors in every moment from the power of his spirit inside of us. In his book, Simply Christian, N.T. Wright encapsulates this idea when he says, we are called to be a part of God's new creation, called to be agents of that new creation here and now. We are called to model and display that new creation in symphonies and family life, in restorative justice and in poetry, in holiness and service to the poor, 
in politics, and in painting. Whatever part of, God, of, the, of this world that you work in, you're called to usher in the new creation to that. We're called to demonstrate to the world that a new creation has begun in us. Eternity starts now. In our relationship and walk with Him. And so, it's this good news that proclaims, the good news proclaims that Jesus saves and changes us and makes us disciples. We be, and as he, does, as he does that, we become his hands and feet to go and make disciples as well. It's Jesus' call on the Great Commission. How many can say that from, from memory? If you've been around missions for long, I'm sure you've seen it a bajillion times. But the Great Commission is Jesus' final statement to his, his 12 as he's about to ascend, and he says, Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's a pretty powerful statement, right? So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I mean, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. See, there's this, this moment, I think, you know, we might have been, if we were the disciples sitting in that situation, he comes and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And it's like, great, awesome. So now we get to like, you're going to go and take over the rest of the world and we're just going to like watch you, right? And his response is, no, all authority has been given to me, so you go. As my delegates. There's a call that we are, as we go out, as his ambassadors, we're, our call is to make disciples of whoever we run into. To speak about what God has done. And I think sometimes we put this on as this like heavy burden for us. Like, oh, we need, it's, it's, we're going with Christ in his power. He says, I'm with you the whole way. I'm, as you're walking and you're going along, maybe, maybe I'll give you some children and you're just going to speak the truth to them. And you're going to pray for them. You're going to bless them. And that next generation is going to rise up. Maybe I'm going to put you in a community or a neighborhood where there's going to be people around you that need to hear about who I am. Are you speaking about me? Are you demonstrating with your life and with your mouth who I am and what I've done? Is it captured your heart? Because God is very interested in the generations reaching to one another. He's a generational God. See, Throughout the Holy, the Holy Spirit has spoken throughout the Bible and the writers of the Bible. They mention the word generation 224 times. It's a lot of times. He speaks about it from one. He, God is outside of time, so he's not focused on just the current generation. He's focused on every generation of the church. Not just who's in charge of the church now, but the, the generation that has faithfully carried it and the generation that's going to soon take it. We want to have the church of Christ be healthy for a long time. And of course, God is superseding that. He said he'll build his church. But he also uses us to be in those relationships with those things. See, it's this call that we see in various passages, such as Psalms 145, 3-4, where he says, The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. 
And Psalm 48, 13 says, Walk around Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell them to the next generation, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Throughout scriptures, there's this call that the generations will proclaim his goodness to the next. And there's also this constant theme of the younger generation holding up the arms of the older. There's this give and take amongst the generations that we're called to. So as the Holy Spirit does his work in our hearts through the gospel, we open our lives to those around us to make disciples. There's an Elam leader that if you've had any connection with Elam, you've probably heard his name. His name is uh, Paul Johansson, and he has said this uh, many times. He says, to make converts, you must open the Bible, but to make disciples, you must also open your life. And so there's this call for us to live lives together. And this call that God is giving and Paul is giving to Titus to, to encourage the church that the generations would invest in one another. First things first, what we just talked about, make sure you're in the gospel. That you're passing on godliness. But then, as you're walking in him, as you're seeking him, and as he's moving in your life, Older generation, connect with the younger. Younger generation, connect with the older. And we're going to see that coming up here. You see, our churches are full of ages that are diverse and unique. We have older generations and younger generations, each with their own unique interests and cares. And so I'm going to take a moment because I think it's important for us to see this. Uh, and I, you know, sometimes we get a little bit nervous when I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but I want to encourage you, we're we're celebrating the generations right now. So I think it's helpful for us to see the generations in this church. So I just want to take a moment, and if you are under the age of 10, I want you to like make some noise out there. Under the age of 10, make some noise. Hey, they're here, yes. All right. Teenagers, any teenagers in the house that's between 10 and 20, make some noise. You know, I want a little more impressive than... Yeah, all right, yeah, all right, woo, there we go. All right, 20-year-olds, any 20-year-olds in the house? Hey, there we go. <laughs> what about some 30-year-olds? That'll be me, 30-year-olds. Hey, there we go. Uh, good old millennials, they'll be loud. All right, 40s, any 40-year-olds? Yes, yes, there we go. Gen X has got to show the millennials. All right, and the 50-year-olds. There we go, 50-year-olds. What about us, uh, our 60-year-olds? Any 60-year-olds? All right. How about, how about the 70s? Any 70-year-olds in here? All right, nice, nice. All right, do we have any 80-year-olds in here? Hey, there we go. And 90-year-olds, uh, and anybody in their 90s? All right, all right. <laughs> That's all right. So what you can see is there's a good amount of the different generations if we count them by 10, 10 eight decades, there's a, that's representation here. And so what I want us to understand is two things. One, if there was anybody who shouted out before you, there's a younger generation that you can invest in. And if anybody shouted out after you, that's the generation that's ready to invest in you, that you should be looking for examples in, that you should be seeking out. You see, in Titus, he gives this encouragement and he calls to these, these different generations, to be learning from each other. Each of us who is older should be trying to impact and pray for and meet with the younger generation and invest in them what we have. 
And those of us who are younger should be seeking out examples of the older generation and where it is. And so we have both of these that we want to encourage. And so today, I just want to start by encouraging the older generation and then encouraging the younger generation. Does that sound good? So in Titus 2, 2 through 3, he says, Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves of excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good. Right? So again, we got, we got the connection. Teach what is good. The good news is the gospel. But then we also have this, this way of living. And it's interesting, as you look through that, we, if, as you get into Titus 2, if we were reading through Titus, we would have already seen a, a, what to look for in elders and deacons, right? We would have seen who are those people that can take up leadership in the church. And you'll notice that in this passage and in that passage, much of the adjectives are the same. To describe who is eligible for leadership in the church and what older men should be like are a lot of the same words. What he's saying here is older men and older women, as we look at you and we seek, as you're living your life, every person in the church should be eligible for leadership. Not just a select few. But every person should be demonstrating a character that if we needed another deacon or another, another elder, we could look and pick, have our pick. Because there's, every man is living and breathing the gospel. Every man has sought the Lord to let him change their hearts to have this character that he's looking for when we want a leader. It's not just, it's not just a call. Like I think sometimes maybe we read through and we see that like, list of things for the elders and we think, well, I'm not really like, looking to be an elder of the church, so I guess I don't have to do all that stuff. And he's saying, no. That's the people that have just, like, have, that's what it should look like because everybody should be seeking to be that man. Everybody should be pursuing the Lord to change their hearts, to live like that. The whole church should be desiring to be Christ-like in their attitudes and in the way they live. And then, if somebody's called to eldership and you haven't been, that's okay, because that's not the goal. The goal is to be Christ-like. And he has a call on certain people at certain times for certain positions, but it doesn't matter because you're investing in the next generation and you're loving your Lord. And he's transforming you and encouraging you. And so we see this, that, that God is calling each to a Christ-like life and to teach God's truth, showing each generation how to love God fully in every area of life. But this doesn't just apply, you know, the, it, when we saw earlier in Deuteronomy, like it talks about teaching it to your children. And that's a, a natural place we should start. If we have children, we should be doing it there. But it doesn't just apply to the family relationship because when we accept Christ, we are entered into the family of God. You have a family. Look around you. This is your family. And those younger generations, they are children who need examples. Those older generations are people who have gone before you that we should celebrate, we should champion. And when we look at that, this older generation, we have this call that the next natural step of spiritual formation is to pass it on. Right? He calls them to this godliness. Right? And then he says in Titus 2, 4 through 8, he says, so that. What does so that mean? It's a purpose statement. It's the reason for what was just said. So that 
you may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men. Paul, Titus, you an older man. In the same way that you just encouraged the older women to live it out so that you can encourage the younger generation, you, Titus, and the older men, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message should be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Whew. That's a call. But man, imagine if our churches were full of men and women who were hard pressing after God and calling the younger generations around them to come alongside them. Everyone making disciples. That'd be a force to be reckoned with. And the enemy would be shaken in his boots because he'd know that God was on the move and that something was going to happen that would be impact generations for the kingdom. And you see, this is not, again, it's not a new thing. God doesn't, he, he changed only one thing, that it's all through Christ. He knew that we couldn't accomplish it on our own, so it all comes through Christ and from Christ. But what happens throughout the generation, he always has been a generational God. And if you look throughout Scripture, you will find all kinds of discipleship relationships all throughout Scripture. Just to name a few, we've got Eli and Samuel. Right now, Eli wasn't the best guy, but he did teach Samuel how to hear God's word, right? That means that when we're talking about discipleship, are we looking for perfection before we make a disciple? No, we're looking for faithfulness, then we make disciples. Eli wasn't perfect, but he knew how to hear God's voice, so he taught Samuel. He passed that on. Elijah and Elisha, Mary and Elizabeth, Jesus with his 12 disciples, Paul and Timothy, not just Timothy, Titus, Silas, and many other young men. All of these demonstrated the way we should do life, that we bring others along with us as we pursue Jesus. They walked together. In fact, this book we're reading is a book that Jesus, that Paul is speaking to, sending a letter to a younger man as he's discipling him. He's teaching him what it looks like to build a church. It's this, this walk. And see, a lot of times we, we, you know, we live this life with Jesus. We've seen, we've seen older generation, how he's shaped your character and your heart through a myriad of life events. You've walked the way. There's a call here that I have to you as a younger generation down towards the bottom half. Don't just pray for us. Please do that. But also reach out to us. Get through our stubbornness. <laughs> Help us to know that you care. That you're invested in our walk with the Lord, too. You know, that's, there's a call that, that God gave to me uh, recently as I was coming into this E4 network. There's a lot of men that are farther along the path than me in the E4 church pastorate grouping, <laughs> however you want to say that. And God kind of was speaking to me the other day. He said, just like Paul with Timothy, I've brought you in as a Timothy, and there's a bunch of Pauls here who have walked the way before you. Reach out to them and encourage them, love them, and learn from them, right? So there's this call that we have, but many times the enemy comes, especially to the older generation, and might say, you're too old to be used in God's kingdom anymore. You're, you're, getting, you're getting up there, you know, like, just, just, like, wait, you're good. And it's a lie from the enemy. 
You see, I remember when I was in, in rec soccer, I was a younger kid, uh, I, was, I was running around, I was a pretty good soccer player, I really enjoyed it, uh, and, but I had just moved to the area when I joined the rec soccer league in that area, and so I, nobody knew, like, they, what they did is they got together, they had all the names of all the kids that were registered, and then they would do a, like, draft, and they saw Josh and us, and they had no idea who he was, so they didn't, like, I ended up on the team with the dad who was coaching just because his kid liked soccer, um, and, but, like, most of the people on that team were all, like, the ones who were, like, ooh, a butterfly, and they didn't stop the goal ball from going in the goal, right? And so I ended up on, the, on that team of just like, you know, we're just here for fun, guys. And that was great. But, you know, I, I really like soccer, so I really like playing it. So what ended up happening was I kind of had this weird situation where, like, I would play both forward or goalie in a game. And what would happen is if I played goalie, they'd score a couple times, but we wouldn't score at all. And then when I played forward, we would score a little bit, but they would score like 15 goals. And so it was this crazy season, that first season. And so, that, like, I didn't really get to see much. I didn't get really to get coached or anything. So the second season was my last season of eligibility for rec soccer. And so I went in, and I went, and we actually got, he, like, the coach kind of wised up that he had, like, a good player that he wanted to grab. So he grabbed me, and then he grabbed another guy that he had seen that was a decent player. So we had two guys. And so we could, like, kind of, like, one of us play goalie, one of us play forward, or we could play together, like, midfield and, and forward, and we could, like, score a lot more. And so we actually won some games. It was really exciting. And we got to the last game of the season. We didn't, like, make the, like, playoffs or anything, but we actually won. Um, and we got into the last game, and we were playing against the first-place team. And I ended up, like, that game, I scored a hat trick, which, by the way, is three goals. Um, and we, like, won against the best team in the league, even though we were eliminated. It was so much fun, so exciting. And as I, I remember walking off, going to get oranges, and the, the coach of the other team, this first place team, comes running across and is like, hey, what's your name? I want you on my team next year. And I was like, I can't play next year. <laughs> sorry. She was like, oh, man, I wanted to coach you up so you'd be ready for school soccer. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm too old. And what the enemy wants us to think is that's how it works in God's kingdom. That you age out of the system. It doesn't work that way. If you're still alive and breathing, God can and will use you to impact the next generation, to demonstrate godliness. He, he will use you if you're available to him. So ask him. Say, God, who is it that you've put around me that needs someone to be praying for them and who they can come to and ask, how do I do this thing called Christianity? How do I live as a disciple of Jesus? Speak into their lives. Maybe you're in a home group of people all your age and you're really comfortable there. But maybe God's calling you through this message to find a group with some younger people that you can invest in, that you can pray for. I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. I don't know. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work with you on that. But I, I pray and desire to see the generations interacting. And to understand, older generation, we need you. We need you to show us how to walk. We need your stories of God's faithfulness. We need to learn how to pray for our kids, how to pray for our work, how to be a, a faithful example in our careers. Make David's prayer your prayer, older generation. And from Psalm 71, 17 through 18, God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still proclaim your wondrous works. Even while I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me. While I proclaim your power to another generation, 
your strength to all who are to come. Now, you younger people, I want to point out our responsibility as well. And point out the responsibility of anybody who has a generation that's older than them. You need to seek out that advice of the older generation. You need to come alongside them and encourage them. Allow God to use people to help shape your life. Peter gives us an important aspect of this in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 9. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we want to take back this world for Christ, if we want to win ground for the kingdom, we need men and women in our lives who can guide our passion and our energy. We need people to help us see how to live. Without these powerful men and women in our lives, we would run ourselves in the ground or explode and do nothing. Like, a lot of times, you know, we're in this spiritual warfare. We're going to war against the powers of darkness to win back people for Jesus. And a lot of times, younger generation has a lot of energy, but we don't know what's been tried before. We don't know how to go about these things. And the older generation, they've seen some things. They know some things. They know how to guide that passion, but they might not have the energy for it anymore. And so we need it both. We need both generations and younger generation. We need to be willing to humble ourselves. And know that there's things we can learn, that we don't know everything. And that hurts to hear, but it's true. We don't know everything. There are people who have come before us, on whose shoulders we're standing, who have done everything hopefully they can to push us farther than they went. Even the little children this applies to. Jesus said, of the little children, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. See, we want to see the world impacted by the life-changing gospel message, and we're going to war, and we need each other. Right? Roman soldiers, when they would go to battle, they would link arms with one another in their phalanx position. Um, and they would, they would go to battle with their arms linked. Why? So that if one was wounded or got tired, they could lift them back up. Or maybe if one got distracted by a pretty butterfly, they're like, no, we're at battle, guys, come on, right? Whatever it is, like, as we're, as we're pursuing the goal, we need someone with us who's linked up who says, like, hey, uh, coming up is a temptation. You're going to struggle here, but I got you. Let me help you pull you back on target. And when the older generation is going and they, they fumble or they, they stumble, we can lift them up. Like Aaron and her on the mountain with Moses, they can lift up the arms and say, let's go. So look at that relationship that's growing the generations again. It says, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity. There's this relationship of encouragement what it looks like to be a woman of God, what it looks like to be a man of God. It's the same thing at work, right? We don't 
we don't currently work as slaves, but in Titus 2, 9 through 10, he says, Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they will adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. We, we are not working as slaves right now, but we have contracts and careers that we work in. And both men and women in our day and age are working at careers and seeking things. And it, we need to know what it looks like to be a professional Christian. And by that, I don't mean a professional Christian like, you know, that doesn't exist in the terms of like, pastors are not professional Christians. We're just Christians with a call. Um, But what it looks like to be a professional in a career as a Christian. So maybe you're a lawyer or a doctor. Maybe you're a plumber or a mechanic. Maybe you're a teacher or any, take your profession, insert in there because I don't know them all. Find someone in your career field who has loved the Lord faithfully in it and ask them how they've done it. Seek to learn from those who have gone before. Maybe you don't have someone in your career field, but a similar one. Find that person. Say, how do I faithfully serve the Lord in my career? And so just as we come towards the end here and we close, we're coming to an end. I just want to give one quick example of how this relationship can work. A practical image for us, of what this might look like. And, and we're using uh, two women named Mary and Elizabeth. And so, how many of you guys know anything about Elizabeth? Elizabeth was an older woman who had been barren most of her life, right? She had never had a child, but she had been faithful. But in that day and age, that was a difficult thing. That was something, I mean, it's still a difficult thing, but in that day and age, that was seen as like a curse kind of thing. It was, it was like there was a stigmatism to it. It was like, hmm, that's not, that's not good, right? There's stigma. And so as she's going through this life, God intervenes in her in her older age, and she has a miraculous pregnancy, right? You guys remember Zechariah? He goes into the, he goes into the temple, and an angel appears and speaks and says, your, your wife is going to have a baby. It's going to be John. He's going to make a way for the Lord. There's this intentionality to it but then at the same time a young girl probably in her teens is out in the field doing whatever and it says in luke 1 35 through 37 we're going to jump a little bit for just some different things he says the angel of the lord replied to her this is mary she's out she's hearing that god's gonna miraculously give her pregnancy though she's never been with a man it says, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And now pay attention to this. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. So then, jumping forward, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that my, the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. 
And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. A couple different things to notice here. What does God do for Mary? He points her to the only woman on earth, literally, who could understand a little bit of what she was going through. There was a miracle birth and a bunch of shame involved. And Elizabeth had lived a life with a lot of shame involved and now had a miracle birth. And God points her to him. She says, hey, by the way, consider Elizabeth. She's pregnant. And I'm sure Mary was like, what? <laughs> She's pregnant? News didn't get around. It wasn't like text messaging was going on. That. Like, they lived far, far apart. Like, she probably hadn't heard yet. And so God points out to her, consider Elizabeth. She's pregnant. And so she's like, what? So she goes to see, is this true? Is God telling me something that's true? Did something miraculous happen for her? Because if it did, it might be happening for me. And what is the first thing that comes out of the mouth of Elizabeth when she hears the greeting of Mary? Blessed are you. Everything God just said to you is true, and the Holy Spirit's confirmed it to me. Imagine what that did for Mary's heart. She would have had so many doubts, so much concern, and to have an older woman speak blessing over her and confirm for her what she was hearing from God would have been so good for her heart. And then to have this younger woman come and just, by the way, let's do the math. What six plus three is what? Six plus three is, we're getting there, nine, right? How many months is there to a pregnancy generally? Nine, yeah, all right, we're doing good. Okay, so she stayed with her from the sixth month until the pregnancy was over. Probably the hardest months for an older woman like Elizabeth to go through in the pregnancy. And so she had a woman to help her to do the laundry, to help with the, with the, with the business that was in the home, to help with all the various things. She had Mary there, and I'm sure they had numerous, numerous conversations about morning sickness, about what it means to be a mother, about what it means for God to have done this. They would have been in each other's lives, speaking about what God was doing for three months. And I'm sure some of those conversations showed up in Mary's mothering of the Savior. That's what discipleship looks like in the church. One who's gone before and one who's not yet there, living life together and encouraging each other in whatever walk they're in. That's what God's calling in Titus, the church, to. He's saying, set up the church to understand discipleship like this. And it's what we're called to today. So this is the challenge. Each of us needs in our lives a Paul and a Timothy, a Mary and an Elizabeth. We need to be discipling, encouraging, and pouring into someone younger, while also being encouraged, shaped, and invested in by somebody older. I want to encourage you, can you answer the question, who's your Mary and who's your Elizabeth? Who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? If you can't answer both of those, go to the Lord and see who he has. Because there's someone in the generations before who can speak into your life. And there's someone in the generation coming up who you are called to walk with. Seek him. You know, we gather together to hear the leaders of the church preach the truth of the gospel. 
But then we go out and we live life, and we're supposed to live it together. Encouraging and discipling one another. So, let's seek the Lord for that. And as we consider this, as we consider God, how are you calling me to invest, and who are you calling to invest in me? Let's come to the Lord's table, a place of unity for the church, where we are reminded of the finished work from which all of this 